speakers podcast my name is pierre and i'm your host uh please join us every first and third tuesday of the month for all details go to hotspeakers.org.uk welcome everybody to the third season of the podcast i can't believe it's the third season and this season we're going to try to widen our discussion about public speaking and communication and my first guest for this season is a friend of mine his name is eric galina hello eric Hello, Pierre-Paul. How are you? I'm good. Ça va? Yeah, très bien, merci. <laughs> yes, as you can see, we can even do the interview in French. We'll get all into that. So, Eric, welcome. So, I like, uh, you know, introduce yourself. So, first question is, where were you born? Uh, I was born in New York City. New uh, York City. Yeah. So, my, my parents are both French, but uh, they met in the States, in New York, uh, where I came to be. Very nice. Nice yeah. French too, by the way. Yeah. So what did you study and you went to school in New York then? Yeah. So, I mean, my, you know, early formative years I spent in, uh, in New York City. Um, my mother worked for the United Nations. So I went to the United Nations International School um, up until I got uh, kicked out, basically, <laughs> to be frank. Um, I, you know, it was uh, a school that went on from the early years until graduation high school. And, um, you know, in high school, I went through periods, uh, as many of us do, where I was a bit rebellious. And uh, I decided to go and watch movies in the uh, West Village instead of going to class. So um, my grades suffered, <laughs> clearly, as a result. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, but it was good. I went to a, a different school and uh, I, it's still an international crowd, as New York is. That's what I love about that city. It's a melting pot of uh, various different cultures and people and backgrounds. And so um, I ended up going to another school, a much smaller school called uh, Dwight on the Upper East Side, uh, just for two years um, before I graduated and then went to a, uh, again, very small uh, liberal arts university up in Boston, um, which was extremely small, but had a very international population, which is why I chose it. Um, I love being around people of different backgrounds. I feel that you gain a lot from um, people's experience, and um, I love intermingling with with other people for that very reason. Okay. So, what did you study at that college? So, at that college, I went in there not knowing anything um, uh, about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, I've always loved cars, but obviously that wasn't an option. Um, but I studied communications because. Um, I really like talking to people. I love uh, finding out things. I'm very inquisitive. Um, and yeah, I just ended up going with that, which was, it was called communication and culture, which I thought kind of fit me perfectly. I knew I loved movies. I knew I liked, uh, you know, watching TV. And for me, communications, um, I, I was pretty good in English, but it wasn't all about words. Um, so communications, for me, I really saw myself going into TV, which I eventually did um, upon graduation. But oh, okay, so that's a, a, diff a different side of things. Ah, now we gotta get into that television. So, what happened? What you get into uh, television then? So, so after I graduated school, um, my then girlfriend, now wife, 
Um, she is from a lot of different places in the world. Her mother is from California. She's Lebanese, but was born and raised here in London. Um, and so uh, when we met, we went out to visit California. I'd never been. It was our junior year of university. Um, and we went to San Diego. And uh, San Diego was a not bad. Absolutely fantastic place for you know a young adult in uh you know it was just a playground there was the beach it was just absolutely gorgeous and um i fell in love with it and it was great because my wife is actually a scientist um it was perfect for her and for me i was thinking hey it's not too far from la um maybe i could get something in in the television or movie industry yeah. and so i um i we basically planned to move out to uh, to California when we graduated. We planned that entire senior year, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to move out. And so saved up a bit of money. And then when <laughs> when we got that degree in hand, we packed up the Jeep um, with all of our worldly possessions, <laughs> four boxes in total. And we uh, we lived out of a tent for about six weeks while we did the cross country oh, wow. cross country journey. Yeah, it was brilliant, wow. brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Very nice. How long did you stay in California? So I moved out to California end of 99 mm -hmm. and I moved and I stayed there until I got accepted into university or I should say the master's in automotive journalism program at Coventry University. Uh -huh. um, the plan was really just to go out for a year. So, um, you know, I started when I was in California, I did a bunch of different jobs. I started off in TV, but I ended up, um, it was the start of the internet. And so I was cold emailing people. I'd read an article about how um, this one guy, Matt Davis, wrote for Automotive News. And he published an article about why French cars were unsuccessful in the US market. Mm -hmm. And I obviously, <laughs> I wrote him back and I said, I'll tell you why French cars are unsuccessful in the US market. And, um, and then, you know, at the end of the email, I basically said, Hey, how can I do what you do? And mm -hmm. he, he gave me a couple of pointers. And, um, from there, I kind of ended up getting into PR, um, in San Diego at that time, it wasn't automotive. It was, um, you know, working with hospitality, real estate, uh, things like that. Hold um, on a there second. was a whole lot did of he... building going on. Hold on a second. Back up. Yeah, yeah. Did he like your rebuttal about French cars? Yeah, I think he did. I mean, you know, I, he, he did tell me that it made sense. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't, you know, I don't think the French manufacturers ever really understood um, what it took to make it in the US market. They, yeah. they, you know, there's a lot of that going on still. I mean, you know, people that are risk averse, you got to, you got to go all in sometimes, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and pulling certain um, shall we say niche vehicles was not was not an ultimately smart decision because you know P Peugeot at the time like the you know 405 MI16 like that was pulled from the US market and that was a really bad decision um, you know uh, if, you know Renault's marketing of, of Le Car yeah. <laughs> which is what it was called in the States was disastrous yeah. um, so there was a lot of things that they were doing you know that was quite pitiful they, you know French cars weren't always great but no, no. Um, you know, Italian cars weren't any better. And, you know, they still can manage to be somewhat successful um, in the US in certain niches like um, you know, Alfa Romeo. And, um, and now, you know, with FCA, it's a completely different playing field. But anyway, I just think that um, the French would have, yeah, 
I think they would have done a lot better. And, and yeah, ultimately he did appreciate my, my argument, but um, you know, nothing ever came to fruition from the French manufacturer side, unfortunately. Okay. All right. So obviously, yeah, you love New York, I'm guessing. And then, yeah, you of, course. This, this, <laughs> of course, then you got to discover LA, which I'm sure you enjoy, well, San Diego, LA, which I'm sure you enjoyed. And now all of a sudden you have Coventry on the horizon. How, how did they figure out in their plan, I guess? <laughs> well, you know, San Diego, I loved, I'll, I'll, I'll just wrap that up real fast. It, yeah. it was, it was great just because um, it was perpetual summer, but at the same time, somebody that grew up in New York, I'm used to seasons, right? I'm used to watching fall, spring, you know, uh, all leaves. of those. Yeah, the leaves changing, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, coming to life and dying. And, you know, so it was like, I missed that. And LA, I didn't, I never really liked. If you're from New York, you don't really like LA. Like, that's just, you know, it's, uh, the coasts, it's too different. It's so spread out, you know, every need, like, so I only spent nine months up in LA and I ended up, only ended up living there um, kind of in a room like I am now um, mm -hmm. during the week and going back to San Diego on the weekends um, okay. because I'd found a job in the automotive industry. Um, wow. and I was writing for auto media um, up in LA and doing shoots, uh, you know, working as an agency for Ford and things like that. And that was great. But I also wanted to further my career. And at that point, I'd been accepted to the degree, uh, to the, the Coventry University degree um, or uh, program. And so that was when we arrived there, man, I'll tell you, uh, I'd been to London before. I'd been to the UK, but arriving in Coventry in the tail end of summer, that was culture shock, man. <laughs> that was the maximum. Um, yeah, that was really uh, quite, a, quite a change. You know, I didn't... Uh, and now, obviously, you know, I, I, I know how different things can be when you're talking about a cosmopolitan city like London um, versus anywhere else in, in the United Kingdom, right? It's quite different. It's like, you know, being in New York City, um, but then people are like, oh, yeah, I've been to the States. I've been to Houston. And you're like, yeah, and that's nothing to do with New York. There's zero. And it's pretty much the same, except on a smaller scale. So... Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, yeah. No, I, I went to, uh, obviously, I moved from Detroit and I got to Coventry about the same time, you know, um, end of August. So, yeah, it's uh, like, oh, okay, that's different. So, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, very different. No, but I mean, I, you know, one thing I can say positively about Coventry is um, it's centrally located. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's, uh, if you've got a car, that's great because you can get out easily and go a yeah. lot of different places. But um, no, I did like, you know, I made some really good friends up there, um, people I'm still in touch with now. It was only six of us on the on the whole thing at the end of it. Oh, wow. Um, really, really small, tight-knit community. All of us ended up getting jobs in the automotive industry somehow. Some of us ended up in PR, um, as I am now. Um, but yeah, it was really just a great camaraderie, you know, a good, oh, awesome. a good time, a good year. And we only spent a year there. Nice. Okay. So... You finished Coventry, so then what? <clears throat> yeah, so I finished Coventry, and then um, the the plan was really only to go there for a year um, and then move back to California. <laughs> but my wife, uh, it was easy to get her out of California and come back to the, you know, um, her birthplace. Mm -hmm. um, but it was kind of, you know, when we were, once we were there, we were like, oh, yeah, why don't we spend a year here, you know, um, and, and check it out, work, see what it's like. And um we, you know, ended up, I, I started freelancing again. I started, um, you know, I was freelancing when I was in the, in California. Um, you know, I covered the Baja 500. I worked as a photographer as well as 
um, a, a writer just because it was easier to sell a story when you had visuals as well mm-hmm. um, and uh, and words combined. So um, I ended up doing that, writing about bits that were happening in Europe for uh, the U.S. market. And then um, I was also uh, freelancing. I'm, I, you know, when I was in um, in university, I did some internships at Autocar, at Evo. I mean, you know, some really oh, cool yeah. places. Yeah. And so um, an auto express. And, um, basically I ended up getting in touch with a guy by the name of Dennis, um, who was basically running, um, uh, at the time, uh, Evo and, and, um, and auto express were part of, um, damn, I'm blanking on the name now. It was like this, this publishing agency that they've since sold it off. Um, Mm -hmm. it's no longer who it was. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was these two publications were together as part of the same publishing house. And um, I was basically working part time on Auto Express um, as well as doing freelance bits. And also I ended up working part time for a company called Car Design News, which mm-hmm. um, the whole way that that happened was um, my one of my professors at uh, at uh, Coventry University was a guy named Nick Cole, and yeah. he was a. Um, he was a designer. He'd worked, you know, um, in a variety of different places. Um, and he was teaching automotive design at Coventry. Mm-hmm. And so he also taught a module um, for automotive for us automotive journalists. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but I remember meeting him through that. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I ended up writing my first article about the um, degree show, the automotive design degree show at Coventry University. Oh, okay. Um, that was my first assignment kind of for them. And then, you know, they were a small new company, they were starting to pick up. And so they hired me on part-time at the same time I was working at Auto Express. And, um, you know, and then ultimately one day this guy, Dennis, you know, he was like, oh yeah, you've been working here like, you know, seven months or whatever. Um, I want to, I want to bring you in and give you like a full-time gig. And I was like, sweet, this is excellent. Yeah, of course. And he said, yeah, we're launching this new website. Um, and it's basically all about the used car market in the UK. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what the, I just got off the boat, man. I don't know. I don't know anything about the used car market in the (laughs) UK, but they wanted to do something that was basically a piston heads rival. They wanted to do something that could compete on that level. And the name of the publication was, was something horrendous. It was like, I can't even remember what it was. It was bad. It was like, you know, car club or something silly. And um, anyway, regardless, I, so I I was working at the same time with, um, with this company, uh, Car Design News. And I went to these guys, small group, three guys. And I was like, look, I've just been made this offer um full-time uh can you match it and they were and they you know kind of went back and they and they did um and ultimately I turned down the the used car you know job or the new publication I mean it was it was it would have been exciting anyway it was a new online publication but I turned that down in in order to um you know really go deep dive into the car Art design scene, um, and that's how I started. I use this was 2000, 2005, six. Yeah, for um, yeah. for those for our listeners who are not familiar, Card Design News is now one of the 
one of the premier websites for card designers. So that was pretty, pretty big deal, I suppose, especially if it's when it started. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of the first. Um, I wouldn't say that they're doing it great, but they do have the market cornered. <laughs> yeah, it's all about establishing your brand, right? So if you're first there. Okay, well, I mean, so. you know, just to go off on another kind of tangent, yep. you know, when I was a kid and I was reading magazines like um, Automobile, Motor Trend, Car and Driver in the US, they always had a little component uh, for automotive design. And um, I think Robert Cumberford did it best in Automobile when he was actually, you know, and that's where all of these things came from. You know, I mean, car design used isn't um, a unique thing. It was styled after auto and design and car styling, which is a mm -hmm. Japanese magazine. So, you know, but they each took their different take on it. Obviously, auto and design, Italian, um, different, uh, very different uh, format and style than uh, than car styling. And then obviously, car design news was online. And I've only ever worked online. So for me, it was perfect. Hmm, very nice. So how long have you stayed at car design news? <clears throat> so car design news, I stayed there about six years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was, uh, so I was employee number one. It was these three guys that were running it. So, and during that time, well, what would, what did you do at Car Design News also? was important to know. Yeah, so during that time, I, so when I joined Car Design News, I joined as a sub-editor. Okay. Um, basically, they were writing the content. They just wanted it to be, you know, proofread, condensed, made into a, you know, um into a piece that was more easily to deliver online and that was my that was my I was doing some some writing as well but my role was sub-editor when I was um, when I was freelance contracting um then when I joined they made me news editor and okay. so I was in charge of you know basically finding out everything that was going on in the automotive industry and you know getting the news bits that were pertinent to automotive design and writing about that and, and you know publishing it um, and basically after less than three years, I was, I was promoted and I became editor, um, at which point, you know, it wasn't that much of a change. I just had, you know, more, um, uh, of a final say, you know, but I was always kind of commissioning people and, you know, getting, getting others to, to write stories and, you know, editing them and whatever I needed to do. Um, you know, making sure that photography was on par, et cetera, et cetera. It was a great job. I enjoyed it. But um, I was also, I was employee number one. So, you know, when those three guys decided it was time to, uh, to move on, it was 2008, it was the recession. They, you know, put the, the, the company up for sale and they sold it. Hmm. And uh, I remember I wasn't privy to these conversations, um, but I did ultimately get a call from my um you know my then boss sam and he he was like uh he was like eric i was getting married i was in paris getting married and i get Ooh. this text message from sam um saying hey eric well when do when do you get back to london and i'm thinking um yeah like why in the hell is this guy writing me as my wedding like i'm he knows i'm getting married you know why, why is he bothering me and um, and so I write him back. I'm like, hey, you know, Sam was like a friend of mine. He still is to this day. But um, it was weird to get that text message. I say, hey, yeah, I'm getting I back on this that. day. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, the whole time I'm thinking like, 
do I still have a job? Like, you know, what's going on? Like, it's, yeah. I know, I know it's 2008. It's not great in terms of the economy. Right. Right. And so um, I write him back and I'm like, yeah, I'm coming back. I arrive at, uh, you know, King's Cross, the train station at this time. But then I've got like a four hour window and I've got to get on a, on a plane and go off on my honeymoon. And um, and he's like, OK, I'll meet you at the train station. Wow. <laughs> I'm panicking now. Right. And um, and ultimately, he just wanted to tell me like he showed up with this map quest. Remember that? Like, yeah, yeah. Like pre pre um, Google Maps. Google Maps. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he came up with his printout saying this is where you report to when you come back. It's like, OK. Oh, OK. So I still had a job, but I ended up Good. working for for a bigger company. Yeah. Um, and that came with its own challenges as well, because obviously it was 2008. And so not that many things were happening in the industry at the time and budgets were tight. Right. Right. Okay. Well, so hopefully you had a good honeymoon. And yeah. Back yeah brilliant. And, uh, all right. So then what? So basically come back from uh, Namibia again, I love road trips for me. That's the best and the ultimate holiday. Right. And so we, I think we were down there for like two weeks, maybe three. Um, and we basically lived out of this Toyota pickup truck. Um, and we, you know, we stayed in a couple of cool places, um, you know, but uh, we were just driving on these dirt roads for like eight hours. And that was brilliant. But um, anyway, so I come back, ended up putting my feet under the desk thinking, yeah, you know, I'm going to get all sorts of uh, all sorts of cash injection coming my way. You know, we're going to be able to do some <laughs> brilliant things with this brand. Like, all right, you know, this is amazing. It's happening. Um, and come to find out that the only thing they were interested in was the brand name. Um, you know, they just wanted to basically acquire it because it was known. Mm -hmm. Um, and they made zero investment into it. I mean, it was a team of four, including myself. Obviously it went down to a team of one. The only thing that grew was the sales team. I mean, the sales team outnumbered the editorial team five to one. Mm -hmm. It was uh, all they were trying to do was sell off the back of it. And I was like, but yeah, I was the only one creating content. Wow. Um, so that was a challenge. And then ultimately they didn't want to, you know, hire people. So I had to hire part timers, which ultimately, you know, made into one whole person. You know, I had like two guys working um two days a week and three days a week and so they were kind of helping me out but i was trying to commission people but they weren't getting paid i mean it was a it was a it was a fiasco um yeah and it was it was it was um challenging times but you know i still i i stuck it out because i loved it mm -hmm. i loved writing about automotive design um and you know i loved working with the people that i worked with like you know, from a, from a design industry perspective. Okay. Um, you know, I, I met so many cool people. I mean, one of my first interviews was Chris Bangle. Like nice. it just doesn't really get better than that. And Chris was like, you know, head of BMW group, not just BMW brand, like BMW group. Like, so I'm talking to him about Rolls Royce and mini and, and he was just so down to earth. He was such an amazing guy and he made me feel super comfortable. And he made it like, and this is what I really value about Chris is, doesn't matter what level he's at he really identifies with you and he's there you know he's on the same level as you are okay. he doesn't it's not like you know um i'm superior there is none of that going on it's um yeah you really feel like you can talk to him and like a one-on-one -on -one, like a peer you know it's amazing mm -hmm. so nice. i yeah i had a lot of great opportunities like that
Okay. So what made you, uh, I'm sure at some point you said, I got to go. So what was the trigger for you? So working, you know, under these challenging circumstances, like I said, I'd been freelance before um, and I wanted to go out and be freelance again. Um, you know, I was like, look, now I've, accom I've, I've interviewed so many people in the industry. People know who I am um, and I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to wing it and I'm going to do this for other publications. Um, not for this one anymore, but go out and start writing about automotive design for whoever. And so mm -hmm. I did end up working for auto and design. I wrote some pieces for automotive news. I mean, I, you know, for a bunch of different, and then I also branched out and started doing more mainstream stuff. You know, I did, um, I did work with, uh, with Rory Reed, you know, former Top Gear presenter um, for a publication he was running at the time. Um, it was, I really enjoyed like, um, you know, working and, and, pitching articles and then working on whatever it is that I'd pitched. Like I wrote for Petrolicious, I wrote the, this one article about the Lamborghini Mura and the history and the design history. And I spoke to people at Bertoni about that. And, you know, I really went into deep into like how that car was created. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just loved being able to do that. Um, but at the same time, and this is where the next kind of stage came in, um, I ended up you know, I would get commissions for these articles. People would buy it and be like, yeah, that's a good story. Um, and then they'd be like, all right, can you write, you know, a thousand words for Tuesday? And it's like, yeah, but then, you know, what am I going to do with the other five, 6,000 words I got? You know, <laughs> that was the thing. It's like, you talk to somebody like Bengal for 20 minutes, you've got 6,000 words easy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you could condense that into, you know, a thousand words, but what do you do with the rest? And so yeah. that's why... I just basically decided to start a website. I, I put everything into a website um, that I wasn't using. And that's how form trends kind of began. It was like, yeah, I've got a bunch of content. Let me just repurpose this. And yeah, I've got all the visuals. I've got what I need. Um, I'll just make this into an article in its own right. And what year was that? When this Fortran was born? What was yeah. Fortran? What year was that? Form trends was 2012. Um, form trends took me about a year to kind of, you know, I'm a perfectionist. It's my, it's my downside. I got to say, it's not a quality. It's not a good quality being a perfectionist <laughs> because you're always like, I could do better. I could do better. And because of that nagging little bit in the back of your head, you just don't get done what you need to get done. Yeah. And that's my downfall is that I'm too, like, I'm too much of a perfectionist. So I'm trying to kind of, you know, scale that back. Um, realize that something done is better than something perfect. Cause at the end of the day, nothing's ever perfect. No. So um, you just have to do the best of what you can do uh, with the time that you've got. And that's it. And I think, you know, had I had that mentality back then um, I would have launched it sooner and I would have built it, you know, from the ground up um, and, and fixed things along the way. Because at, when I launched it, I had content that was almost a year old in there. You know, that was just stupid, <laughs> but it, it was, it was a good, it was a, a good learning experience. No doubt. But at least you're, uh, you're your own boss and you have, uh, you know, complete art artistic freedom, right? Yeah. That was the thing. It was like, you know, I mean, I, um, I, I knew what I wanted to do and how to do it and how to do it better than what I felt the competition was doing. Um, and ultimately, yeah, I made a name for myself. I ran that title for almost 10 years. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I would have kept doing it. But the thing is, you know, it's, it's 
being your own boss is great, but it's also, you know, massively challenging, right? It's like the online journalism game is, is one thing, um, but that's changed massively in the last decade. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, when I started out, I went out and one of the reasons I think I grew so quickly is because I understood the social media game. And mm -hmm. that's one of the, one of the hugest, one of the biggest, um, you know, uh, changes uh, in our generation in mm -hmm. terms of getting yourself out there in terms of communication. Um, social media changed the playing field for everyone. Everybody's up the same now. Uh, you know, you could be, um, you could be a Bentley, you could be, uh, um, you know, a, a startup manufacturer, you have the same, you know, audience, the same resources. Um, and it, well, you know, to a certain degree, right? Because um, if you're a big automotive giant with an unlimited budget, uh, nothing's ever unlimited, but it, with a bigger budget, you can obviously pay and do things. And obviously. if you're a smaller kind of startup, maybe you don't have that bigger budget and therefore can't amplify your message as much as possible. But if you're not, if you take that um, amplification and paid campaigns out of the equation, you're, you're level, right? It's just, it all, it's all down to the content that you create and sure. you know, the, the message that you, um, that you put out there. And um yeah, so I think that right now it's, you know, having all of these different social channels available, all this like, you know, the internet just opened up a world of opportunity for people sure. in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So, all right. So let's review. You're your own boss. You have your own freedom of artistic content. You're well known. So you can talk to any designer you choose, basically, I would say. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be like quite a different um different job now it's like when Hyundai entered the picture so what how did it come about so like I said you know being your own boss and running your own business sounds great and glamorous but there was you know there were peaks and troughs and like you know um so I wasn't just you got to remember I'm, I'm doing this by myself yeah so when I was 30 years old I was like, this is fantastic. You know, I'm writing, I'm photographing, I'm shooting videos, I'm running around, sitting in airports, uh, lounges, going on various different trips to different shows. Um, meanwhile, you know, my daughter is growing up and I'm not around. Um, and then I'm like running around all over the place. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, this is great. I'm, it's a good month. Other times I'm like, well, you know, it's not a, I haven't really made um, that much above my rent. <laughs> um, and like, um, and I'm seeing all these things happening. And yeah, look, the freedom it afforded me, I was able to take time off and spend it with my kids when they were young and, um, you know, off school and all that. Um, but at the same time, it was massively challenging to the point where I had to branch off and do other things. One of the things I did was recruitment. Um, you know, and the other thing that I did was, um, was uh, just selling services, right? Um, as you say, I've, I've been in this business for a long time, I kind of knew what it is that I was doing in terms of, uh, you know, communications. And so I started pitching, um, you know, and I'd worked with a couple of different companies doing things, you know, um, just on a project basis. And so one day I basically picked up the phone to, uh, to Luke Donkervalk, um, whom I've known for a long time, basically since, you know, the, the car design used days. And, and, and I called him initially just to, to, you know, pitch him services, just be like, Hey, you know, Luke, how you doing? Um, I hear you got this new job over there at, uh, 
at, uh, at Hyundai, um, you know, I'm pitching him design communications. And he basically was interested in what it is that I was saying. Um, and ultimately he said, you know what, there's no one that does this in-house. What do you think about joining the organization? And I thought about it, you know, for about four months, basically, because wow. I was like, I really like being my own boss. But at the same time, I've been doing this for a decade. I've seen what it can do. I either need to scale and ramp up massively um, to be able to continue doing what I'm doing because it's not sustainable otherwise, or I could take this new opportunity and really see what's on the other side of the fence where I've never worked and explore um, that. And you know, for me, I'm always about exploration. You know, I mean, it's like a new discovery for me is that was, that was well worth it. Um, and again, like I'd been doing something else for a decade. So I was like, let's, let's try something new for a change, you know, mm -hmm. um, work for a massive company. Um, I've not ever, I've never done that before. Um, you know, do something in house, be able to really, um, yeah, work with, three amazing brands at the moment, others as well, but you know, we can't talk about that. <laughs> but um, I mean, I, from, the, from a motor vehicle perspective, um, you know, there's, there's a lot happening at the Hyundai Motor Group, right? We've got uh, Hyundai, we've got Kia, and of course we've got Genesis, the luxury brand where I'm spending a lot of my time now because it's such a new brand and there's loads of things to do. Okay, um, so- yeah, There's other companies within this organization as well, which are massively interesting. Uh, from a mobility space industry, mm -hmm. but anyway. So let's read for our listeners too, who might not know. So Luke is the what VP of design? He's, he's the chief creative officer. Chief so creative. Luke oversees everything creative within the organization, be it design, um, brand. Um, so yeah, he's he's a he's a big shot basically within this organization. Yeah, I would say. And uh, designer of the Lamborghini Marussia Lago, if I recall, among yes. others. Yeah, yeah. He worked yeah. at Lamborghini, Bentley. And yeah, he's got a... Yeah, I think he knows what he's doing. Successful track record. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so right now your title is what exactly at Hyundai? The Hyundai Group. So I'm working specifically in Luke's team. Um, and there's other, you know, there's other teams, obviously there's a PR and a communications team within, um, within Hyundai and within Kia and within Genesis. Um, I'm more in the creative zone. So okay. my boss is, is Luke Donkerbalk. So, okay. um, the way that, the way that I, my, my role is PR and communications. PR and um, communication. It, okay. it started off as design communications, but it's more yeah. PR. I manage anything that comes inward in, you know, in terms of interviews, presentations, internal and external. Um, I, you know, advise in terms of, you know, um, motor shows or product launches or whatever it may be. Um, mostly, though, I'm involved more on the creative side. So concept cars, things like that, um, more forward facing, mm -hmm. um, more strategic as well. Um, so, so would, yeah. would you say you're his, uh, his voice internally and externally, like as from a communication perspective, how would you describe it? Yeah, I've never, you know, I've never enjoyed, um, being the mouthpiece because you hear, you hear <laughs> that, or you read that, you know, when you're reading the, the spokesperson, but yeah, essentially that is what I am. Um, you know, I, I don't, 
you know, when I'm conveying messages and decisions, these aren't mine, ultimately. Right. Um, they're made from above and then, you know, handed down and sometimes perhaps influenced a bit by me just because, yeah. you know, I know this space. Sure, um, sure. And Luke is extremely, you know, he's, he's a great person to talk to because, again, you can align with him. Um, obviously, you know, he's making the ultimate decision, you know, because that's who he is. He's my boss, right? But um, he's very receptive, um, very receptive to uh, input and creative input um, in, in terms of, you know, um, ways to promote the organization, what topics to consider, um, what to do from a, a visual perspective, as well as, you know, from a, a wordsmith perspective. So, yeah, so um, he, yeah, he, yeah, he gives yeah. me a lot of, of freedom as well, which okay. is not typical within this organization, I feel. Um, you know, maybe, it, you know, um, it, it's, it's categoric as well, because, you know, when some people get to a certain level, again, like I was, you know, we were talking about Chris Bangle earlier, um, but um, Luke, ultimately, he realizes that he hired me for a reason, right? So he gives me a lot of, um, a lot of, um, uh, yeah, basically freedom uh, to, to, to do what it is that I came here to do. Mm -hmm. um and you know i'm always going to check it with him first just to make sure that we are aligned because the yeah. last thing i want to do is is to do something that he's like why are we doing this but um but yeah it's it's important to uh to be able to know that you know he trusts you you know okay. and and um there was yeah there was a few occasions where you know i just had to basically make a call you know and um and and i i apologize afterwards i was like look i Sorry, this was just necessary. And he was like, no, oh, that's fine. <laughs> so, so, I mean, he's the head of, uh, you know, hundreds of designers, three brands and more, I guess, across yeah. three continents. So how do you make sure that his communication is distilled down to everybody else? Because that sounds like a really big job. Yeah. So that is a, a challenge. But anytime Luke is referenced, this is the way that it is. And it has to be. Um, it has to come through me um, because otherwise, you know, you're going to get some disjointed stuff that's happening. And so anytime it's like a quote from him or, you know, he's saying something, everything comes through me, um, you know. So when we're doing films and scripts and he doesn't really work from scripts, to be honest. So <laughs> my job's pretty easy from that perspective. Um, but, you know, I mean, you know, you want to know what to what messages to, to target and to, you know, to include in that film, right? Um, but yeah, Luke is very much uh, about authentic mm -hmm. um, and, you know, reading a script, especially if it's like, you know, words that he's, you know, come across better in written form than in uh, spoken form. Sometimes, you know, you really need to. So, like I said, I know him pretty well. We've worked together for now over a year um, and I can kind of, know what words to put into his mouth so to speak but at the same time it's more about key messages what it is that we need to deliver and then luke will you know find ways to deliver that and alter the script if necessary um again because he doesn't work on scripts and he usually just wings it okay like if i think back to my gm days right uh like for example cadillac was art and science back in the day mm. i'm not sure what they are today is does Luke tell you Hyundai is this and go figure it out? Or do you guys have a discussion? How does that go? So no, 
um, generally, you know, we're, we're basically, you know, there's a design language for each brand, right? For Genesis in particular, it's athletic elegance. So athletic elegance is still kind of open to interpretation, but we have a brand team, you know, that basically works on defining what all of those elements are and how to interpret those. And so you, in, when, you know, you interweave bits from brands, bits from design, when you're creating and formulating this message, um, you know, it's not something that, yeah, I just go at it alone. Um, like I said, it's a big organization. There's a lot of different cogs in this, um, you know, at work here. And we're all kind of feeding this one wheel. Um, so not so, too much of a shock from running your own business to being like a multi, you know, billion dollar corporation. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, you know, I don't know if it's shock is the right word. It's different. Um, but it's also, I, I feel like, you know, when I was running by my running, um, you know, my company, I had my wife and that was it. That was my sounding board, you know, and um, I had some friends and stuff, but mostly it was just us, um, which was great. But at the same time, it was like we couldn't share and, you know, delegate, um, you know, none of that, you know, or have like, you know, bouncing back ideas over multiple people from multiple different perspectives, know about what it's like in this market and that market culturally. And there's so many different variables, right? So when you start to work for a larger organization like, you know, the Hyundai Motor Group, and you realize that there are entities in India, in China, in um, the US, in Europe, in, you know, everywhere, um, in Korea, of course. And, and so, yeah, it's, um, I think it's, it's great when you're trying to, yeah, basically formulate that message um, that you have a lot of different people to count on and to give their feedback on and perspective on. Do you feel that in your job, you're Luke, obviously Luke is the chief design officer. Uh, do you feel that your job is to message what design stands for for the rest of the company? Or is that like culturally understood that design is really strong? Because when you look at Hyundai's and Kia's lately, I mean, it's really, really ballsy. In my opinion, it's great. I love the cars. So how do you, do you feel it's more internally or to project externally, I guess, is the question. No, I think... Um... I think it's more internal, actually, because, you know, because once we like, once we're as, as a team, right, once design in particular is confident in what it is that they're doing, um, and you're given, you know, like, like I said, Luke, um, you know, trusts me, but also um, the executive chair, um, you know, Yusin Chung is uh, basically a descendant of the original founders of the Hyundai motor company. So um, it's a family business for him. And he also is very trusting of Luke, um, which is just, you know, that's really what makes it happen, right? Because if, if Luke and Sang Yup, um, you know, and everybody is, is confident in the message, in the designs that they're creating, um, then for us, you know, from a communications perspective, it's quite easy then to say, this is what we are. And we're not going to, you know, try to sugarcoat it or whatever. It's like, either you like it or you don't. We realize that some of these designs are going to be polarizing, but we're not an everyman brand. You know, I mean, you know, in particular Genesis, right? Um, we don't want to appeal to everyone. You know, if you like it and you understand um, the design, you can appreciate it, then 
yeah, we want you to be one of our customers. But if not, then, you know, maybe the brand's not for you. Maybe, you know, maybe you should look elsewhere. And um, I think that's that's the way to go. If you try to appeal to everybody, nobody will be happy anyway. So you might as well do your own thing and people don't like it. Fair, but people yeah. who do like it, I think they'll, they'll create a strong emotional connection. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, you know, choosing to purchase a car isn't just about design as much as we'd like to think. Um, it's obviously, you know, the usability of the product, um, the user experience on board, what it looks like, the material quality, the overall quality, you know, the, the warranties and, you know, showing how much you believe in the product as, uh, as a manufacturer, right? Um, the service capabilities, the fact that um, is, is, it, is it economical or not? You know, is it fun to drive? Like all sorts of different things, right? Do you so, get involved into those discussions, like down to the brochure, you know, Hyundai stands for this. And so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I mean, Hyundai, like the, the brochures is like a huge thing. Anything that's communications. And so communications, like we were talking a little earlier before we, you know, hit the record button. Um, communications for me is, is not just about crafting words. For me, um, the majority of what I do is visual communications um, because, you know, especially going back to the social media age, you know, people have short attention spans. They're not going to sit through and, you know, read, um, you know, uh, even a paragraph, maybe, you know, forget about like a thousand words online. <laughs> right. So you got to show them something that is appealing. And, you know, as the old <laughs> adage goes, you know, pictures worth a thousand words, man, if you can communicate what you need to in a photograph or an animation or moving image and you can do that without um anybody having to say anything you're mm -hmm. hitting every single market and every country in the world um by creating those images um and that's it and that's that's what i think is is massively important for people to consider now that communications is is far more than um than than you know writing and speaking i mean I, for example, before I started this job, I'd done a couple of presentations where, you know, at Art Center and things mm -hmm. where I spoke to, you know, aspiring car designers and, you know, about what was going on and how to break into the role and things just because I, you know, worked in such a different, varied array of, uh, of, of uh, areas um, in, in, in automotive design. So, but I always hated public speaking. You know, I, I'm not very comfortable at doing it. And uh, ultimately, you know, people say, yeah, picture the people naked. That doesn't work. You just have to be, you know, ultimately, you just have to be confident in what it is that you're doing and saying. That's it. Yeah. You go up there and you say, I know what I'm talking about. If these guys want to hear it, fine. And if they don't, that's OK. Um, but um, I think also, you know, you can't. It's about being confident. So therefore, knowing your craft, but also, um, you know, having a little bit of, uh, of a sense of humor as well. Um, there's this, uh, there's this one guy um, that I, I, I read, um, or rather I watched <laughs> something about on him uh, recently. Um, his name is Mohammed Kwantani. Um, and he, he's like a public speaker, basically. He, and he came up with the, the power of, uh, he had this video rather, but the power of words and how, you know, negative words and positive words and have, you know, an impact and a lasting impact on, yeah. on, on, on people. Um, even if it's just casually, even if it's just subtle, even if it's just, if it's just one word. And, um, and yeah, but the way that he delivered that speech was, 
you know, he, the humor, you know, aspect of is not, is not lost on him because it was brilliant. Like he could have been a stand-up comic, you know? <laughs> yeah. Public speaking is, uh, well, that's what we do at our club. It's a craft, but it's something you work on. Right. So yeah. do you write speeches for like Luke or anybody else in your company to speak? Yes. You do. Yes. Yes. Um, so again, you know, it all depends on how much of it gets used. But um, some executives will want a teleprompter and will want to read um, so they don't forget anything. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, it is a bit of speech writing. You need to, yeah, you need to. This is interesting, especially make for our it, audience. Yeah. So how yeah. do you, okay, how do you craft a speech quite quickly and not, you know, how, what's your, do you have a goal in mind? How, how do you work it? Yeah, of course. So ultimately, um, you know, when, a speech is being delivered is because we have a message to say. So you write down like several key messages in bullet points and then you build it and work around that. And then for me, it's kind of like writing an article. You know, I always used to do um, the introduction first or last or rather. I would write the body of the text first and then I would come back and I'd write the intro and how would that feed into it and then conclude it. No, um, same here. Yeah. And so it's a lot easier that way. Um, but in terms of speech writing, it's, yeah, you need to, you need to breathe. That's like one of the things like when in speech writing, I think you need to, so it's kind of like the bullet points, right? Between those bullet points, there's some room, there's a breath, there's some space where you allow, you know, that um, what you've just said, that paragraph, that statement, that message to kind of sink in a little bit and be delivered. It's the same in, um, you know, I, I watch a lot of stand-up comedy. I yeah. love stand-up comedy and what they do is also, you know, it's its own craft, but it is um, very similar in the sense that if they, they write a bit, right, regardless of how long it is, they write a bit and then you have to wait because there's going to be applause or there's going to be a reaction and you need to let the audience absorb that and feedback and then continue into yeah. your bit and the speech writing or, you know, doing a presentation is the same way. Um, if you have something you need to, especially if you want it to be impactful, you need to let that sit for a minute, you know, give it space to breathe and then come back and, you know, continue. Yeah, I was always telling people, especially at our club, just let, you don't speak 100 miles an hour all the time. You have to make a point and you have to make a strategic pause. Yeah. And, or like when the, the analogy I did was when you do like a Canson drawing. So you have a red piece of paper to make a Ferrari, for example. You don't like you don't marker everything up. You just let the red pop through because that's the whole point. Mm. You need the red. So I think it's the same thing for a speech. You need those uh, those strategic pauses and stuff to get your point across. Otherwise, you're not going to get your point across. So mm. yeah, same thing. Definitely understand yeah. that. How um, how many people work for you? Do you have a team now? So as an organization, we have five people working directly for Luke, but it's such a new team. I was employee number one. So um, it's going to take number some one time. a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've always enjoyed the startup, you know, the, the startup um, phase, I guess, you know, you're laying the groundwork and then, you know, once it, it's super exciting, you know, yeah. um, uh, you, you, you know, especially if you have carte blanche, you, you can do whatever you want and, you know, people appreciate your input and your, you know, value your opinion. And then you can 
make some changes and lay the groundwork for something that's going to, you know, evolve and be, you know, hopefully very successful later on. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, so we're, we're growing. I'm actually looking to hire some people as well um, in terms of uh, visual communications, because I think that's, uh, that's very um, necessary again in this day and age and certainly for what I do. <laughs> so you're based out of uh, Frankfurt, right? Is that correct? Yes. So okay. my office is uh, here. Yeah. On the, uh, on the east side of Frankfurt. East side. Uh, yeah. Is your team with you in Frankfurt or are they scattered across the globe? Because obviously Hyundai is a global company. Yes. So my team is mostly here. Okay. Like, yeah, because Luke's, Luke is here in right. Europe for yep. the most part. He travels to Korea frequently, but um, you know, we have um, some, shall we say, because we're a big company, we have some players and some, um, you know, uh, extended members, not of our team, but uh, people that we work with in other departments across the across the, the company that are based in the US or based in Korea, and particularly in Korea, because that's the HQ, that's the headquarters. Yeah. So there's a lot that happens there. That's where the design centers are as well. When, you know, we've got a design center here in Europe for Hyundai, Kia and Genesis, as well as in the US, but the hub um, and the main design center is still in Korea. Obviously, you have a, a deep understanding of car design, right? Are the people on your team attuned the same way or did you have to like teach them a few things about the business? No. So um, one of our team members is uh, uh, Alberto, is uh, a former designer, actually worked at Cadillac. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So um, he, he worked at GM for a while. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he's a designer, but he's more on the strategy side now. So he's planning, you know, ways to, um, I guess, you know, get the, the message across and, you know, events to attend and what we can do in terms of boosting the, the brand. Uh, there's a lot of different things on his plate at the moment. Um, Sue is is a color and trim designer, so mm -hmm. also you know background is uh, okay. is, is right. uh, fashion, but is you know automotive as well nice. and still design. Um, and uh, Mauro is a product designer, um, so okay, you know so they're all designers. that space. Yeah, so I mean, there's <laughs> mostly it's designers. Everybody is a designer, um, except for you know some of the. Uh, the coordinators on the team, you know, obviously, um, being a Korean company, we have certain people that come over from Korea to help us um, get things done from uh, being based in Europe. Um, and um, because they know the company and they know the people back in Korea, it's easier for them to get things done. Um, and they are, yeah, they liaise and they do things uh, outside of, uh, of, of the, you know, daily work that or the the visionary work that we're doing as part of a design team um and so yeah i'm really the only one that's not you know a trained designer you know i didn't go to school for design right um i just happened to fall into it and and enjoy that part of um of what i do but uh i'm i'm not like that's the thing people always think i'm a designer and i remember i was talking to somebody a while back now and um they were like, you're a, you're a designer. And I've said, no, I'm not a designer. I've never, I've never studied design, you know, automotive or otherwise. I've never studied design in my life. Um, but I'd been doing it for so long. And, and he said, he said, yeah, you're a designer. There you go. <laughs> I would say it's the same thing. So I don't mind it. Yeah. I mean, but uh, yeah, I'm not, 
I used to draw, you know, full disclosure, obviously I used to draw cars in the, in the, my, my books as a kid, but uh, I I was never really supported. Uh, You know, I went to good schools, but I was never supported in, in that creative capacity. Um, Mm. You know, I was, when I was, I remember vividly one time I was drawing, I think it was French history class. I was drawing cars in the notebook and I got a piece of chalk thrown at me because I wasn't paying attention. You found another creative outlet, right? That you yeah. do is highly yeah. creative as well. That's true. Uh, that's true. Yeah, I know. I know we're coming up the hours, so there's a couple of things I would like to ask. So, as we know, you've met a lot of designers, like a lot of chief designers. Mm. So, my question to you would be: You don't have to name names. So, of the designers you met, who are the most effective communicators, and how did they communicate? Because obviously. Some of them a small team, but like Luca, as I said, other hundreds of designers. So how do they, how are they able to push their vision forward to other people? Okay, so you mean internally or like, yeah, you mean internally now? Yeah, or internally or of the people you met, who do you think were the most effective communicators and how or why? Okay, so so there's there's, I think there's two elements to your question, right? Because one, as a journalist, I met a lot of designers, yeah. but I'd never worked for any of them. Right. Right. And so there's a difference there. And I think that really is um, important to note. Yeah. But, <laughs> because... you know, they could articulate their vision to you, to other people effectively or not effectively at all. Right. Well, I think, you know, the, the person that someone is in front of a journalist that can do certain things for them in terms of visibility um, and in terms of promotion is different than the person that you get in the studio when they haven't slept for three days and this and this project is um, you know past the deadline and and um, is over budget you know what I mean yes so um, that's a little bit different I mean I've heard I've met some people that I thought were like super cool and like really nice down to earth people and then you hear horror stories about what they're like to work for um and how you'd never want to be on their team because they would just cut you down and belittle you um and that and and the stress within that organization so i would not want to be uh in that environment but at the same time you know the guy seemed perfectly nice when i was talking with him on the show stand right so um but i think like an effective communicator one has to um well, there's certain elements. There's, you know, he has to vocalize what it is that he wants. So therefore, it's necessary for, you know, if if they need something changed, they need to be clear about what that change is. Um, sometimes, because we're talking design, it's a visual communication. It's like I don't need this. I need this, and you know, and then that is understood because they speak the same language, right? Um, but ultimately, you know, it's about clarity. It's about transparency. It's about, yeah, just, I always like to put myself in, uh, other people's shoes, right. And kind of think, I, I don't know who this person is or what they're going through. So I need to really present this in a way that, um, you know, is, is crystal clear is there's no room for error. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, try to belittle this person or, you know, make it seem like he doesn't understand. I'm going to, you know, just make sure that he does in certain ways. Um, And that is, yeah, just obviously speaking, being clear and, and also being on the level where 
you know, you, you open it up to a dialogue, right? Because if, if somebody is afraid, like of you as a person, right? If you come in and you're like, I'm big designer, man. And like, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Okay. Understood. All right. And you leave, um, maybe they didn't understand. Right. So you want to make sure that you're accessible enough so that if, um, people need to push back and say, hold on, what is it that you meant there? Because I, I interpreted it this way. Is this what you mean? Because otherwise, you know, it's a big problem because it could be that your interpretation is not the correct interpretation, um, or the interpretation that your boss wanted you to have. And so, yeah, you really just, I'm, I'm, I've never, I, I'm not going to say I've never had that problem, but I, I am very open, always super transparent. Some people like it. Some people don't. Uh, sometimes I'll rub people the wrong way because I just say what's on my mind always. Yeah, um, you know, you know? I like that. And I like that much be better than having to figure out what you meant. And British people, sorry if anybody from Britain is watching, especially the Northern guys, you don't say what you mean. And I don't like that. <laughs> I was going to say, that's more of your American side coming through. No, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. There's no time. Who's got time for that? Like, I'm not a mind reader. Tell me what, <laughs> tell me what you mean. <laughs> I hear you. Okay. And the thing I want to last question was, all right, if somebody likes, you know, what you're doing or uh, the career path and wants to explore about doing PR or in design or anywhere else, what kind of advice would you have for them? Wow. Um so like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for PR in particular, I'm probably a bad person to ask because, and my wife hates it when I say this, but I, I chose various different paths that mm -hmm. ended up being strategic to end up where I am now. Yeah. But I never really, that wasn't my goal. Right. You know? I ended up there. Yeah. Um, so my ultimate, and, and so I always tell people, yeah, I just kind of fell into this. And she's like, no, you didn't, you worked your ass off for, you know, 15 years to do what it is that you do. I wouldn't um, agree more with her. I think it's, you lay down the foundation, like you, you built your skills, right. Yeah. Job after job. And they, it's like, the, it's called the talent stack. You, you know, you learn about writing, you learn about design, right. learn about photography. And then at some point they all mesh to do the job you do now. So I understand exactly. how you can think that you fell into it, but I think each job you did was building up to that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that ultimately is, you know, is, is the message, right? It's yes. if you find something that you love to do, like for me, I loved talking. I loved cars. I liked writing. I loved the moving image, like movies and film, TV. I mean, I worked, you know, when I was in San Diego, I worked for Second Unit for uh, nice. uh, a production company where Second Unit is basically like stunt work and, and shots like behind the scene. Like um, if you're a main actor in a television show, for example, but we don't want to pay your wages, we're going to get a stand in to do an over the shoulder shot of you looking at your computer. Um, so we don't have to pay you, the main actor we will instead pay a, a stunt double. And so second unit comes in to do that over the shoulder shot. So anyway, um, but I ended up doing a lot of the things that I liked doing and I did well at them because I enjoyed doing them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and ultimately, yeah, it just, those, 
various bits of my life and my past jobs and you know choices ended up uh putting me where i am now um but i always enjoyed it like you know i i really like what i do you know mm -hmm. at the end of at the end of the day that's the only way you're going to get really good at it at something is if you do it because you enjoy it and then you don't look at oh what time is it oh i don't want to be working it's saturday or whatever it's like i just did it because i enjoyed it and if, if it needed to be done it got done yeah, and I think that's a nice uh, way to end our conversation. So, Eric, I heard you're off to Korea now. I will be tomorrow. Yeah, today I wow. still have a little bit of time. I get to relax and uh, do some packing later. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining our podcast. Uh, that was a really interesting conversation. I could probably talk to you for another hour or two, but I don't want to, you know do that too much okay so once again thank you eric for uh, joining us on the podcast once thank again my name, is, my name is pierre and this was the heart of heart yeah heart of england speakers podcast come and join us live every first and third thursday of the month until the next time bye bye <laughs>